Thanks. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of 2 Corinthians. We'll read there just a moment. I'm really glad to be back with you. I've been gone for the last several weeks. Uh, we, the church is kind enough to give me a sabbatical on occasion, and it was uh, good for me, and I did some long-range planning and thinking about the next year or two and beyond to the next couple of decades, and really, um, but it's just so good to be back with you. And I, I really appreciate the staff and count on them, and we had some great uh, speakers these last weeks, didn't we? Is that right? Did, were they, did they do a good job? Yeah, I thought so too. I was really delighted to listen to them. Now, if we do this right, if we do this right, uh, church will never be about me or our staff or you, but about the Lord and His work in us. That's what it'll be about. But I'm really thankful that God's put people here who really help our church to become everything He wants us to become. Um, next Sunday afternoon is the membership class. If you want to join our church, that's how you do it. If you just want to find out more about our church, you're welcome to come. I teach that class from 4 to 6 next Sunday afternoon. If you'd like to come, uh, sign up, fill a connection card out, let us know, get, send an email. We'd love to have you. Well, open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to read there together in just a moment. We're working our way through this book of the Bible. And some of you may know a song that came out some years ago now, quite a few years ago now. Uh, the biggest selling Biggest playing song in Christian radio history, biggest selling song, Christian song. It's called I Can Only Imagine. Crossover into the pop charts even and, and just really kind of captured the uh, attention of a lot of people. It had it was really lyrics about standing in front of God in heaven and it said lyrics like this, surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you, be still? Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. Some of you may remember that song, Mercy Me. But it, it's really a beautiful song about heaven, and whatever you picture of, of heaven, however you picture it, it's better than that. I think I meet sometimes people who think of heaven almost as boring or something, and it's certainly not that. Heaven's greater than we can get our earthly minds around entirely. It's everything that God has prepared for us, the home that deep inside we've been longing for. But the song is not just about heaven. It's also a song about reconciliation. The lead singer of Mercy Me is a guy named Bart Millard, and Bart Millard um, wrote this song about his father who had passed away and picturing him when he entered heaven. His grandmother, Bart's grandmother, had said, I wonder what your dad is picturing, you know, as he stands before God in heaven now after he passed away. And that relationship, of course, ended really well for Bart and his father and just a picture of heaven, but it had not always been that way. They were very estranged for a, good, for a long period of time. Bart's father was abusive physically and mentally, emotionally. It, it got so bad in their home that he, uh, Bart's father and mother, divorced when he was just very young, three years old. And uh, he bounced around be between the two some, wanting to please them both. But the abuse got so bad, there was a time when he, his father beat him so badly he couldn't go to school for a couple of days. And that was the end, and he went to live with his mother from that point forward. But then when Bart was 15, his father got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. That's a pretty... At that time, especially, really serious diagnosis. And so it changed how he began to think. 
and his father, who had always mocked Bart for going to church and mocked Bart for anything to do with the faith, suddenly began to read the Bible, and then he began to go to church, and then he came to know Christ as Savior. And out of that new life in Christ, he had a desire to be reconciled with his son. That often happens. Have you noticed when we get right with God, how God wants us as a result of that to get right with other people? And so uh, Bart and his father reconciled. They came back together and Bart got involved in his life and his father began to connect with him really for the first time in his life. And so much so that by the time he died, when Bart was a freshman in college, Bart was there at his side holding his hand when he passed away. And he said, uh, not only is he my best friend, but he said at the end of his life, not the beginning, but he said at the end of his life, he's the uh, godliest man I know. It's a story of a son and a father who were reconciled. And I want you to know that that's the story of the Bible, that God wants to reconcile us. We, we're to be reconciled. That God made us for something more than just to know about him. God, God made us for something more than just to have religious activities, but God made us for a relationship with him. Let's, let's read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to start with verse 16. Will you follow along? The Bible says these words, from now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective, even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Now, here's the principle I want you to get. I want you to get this deep in your heart. You can be reconciled to God through Christ. You can be reconciled to God through Christ. Verse 18 says, God has reconciled us to himself. Well, how? through Christ. Verse 19 says, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. So how is the world reconciled to himself? In Christ. And I want you to see that you can be reconciled with God through Christ. You may feel like, I don't really, I mean, it's not that I'm against God. It's not that I don't, it's that I, that I don't care about him. It's just, God says that we are broken. Our relationship with God is broken by sin. That sin is not just like a no big deal and it doesn't matter. It is so, it causes so much damage. The Bible says we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And we are separated from God. We are estranged from God who created us in his image and made us for a purpose. But the Bible says we can be brought back into right relationship with God. God sent his son Jesus and Christ lived the life that we couldn't live. He lived the perfect life. He lived the perfect life, the perfect example for you. And Christ died the death that you deserve, I deserve, because we are sinners. Christ died in our place. He died, the Bible says, for our sins. And Christ provided the miracle we need. Christ rose from the grave. And because of that, the Bible says, if we will turn from our sin and trust Christ as Savior, we can be reconciled to God, brought back into right relationship. Like that father and son who are estranged, Sin has broken our relationship with God. And God invites you into a relationship with him in salvation. And when you know him as Savior, you are reconciled to God through Christ. This is a big thing. This is a big thing. I don't, I don't want you to miss this. Some of you are here who have never been reconciled to God. 
I'm not saying you haven't tried to do good things. I'm not saying, I mean, you're religious enough. You showed up at a church on a Sunday morning, but you need to be reconciled to God. You need to be brought back into fellowship with him. You need a right relationship with him. And that will only happen by trusting Christ as your savior. And the good news is Christ can save you. He's able to save you. He's willing to save you. And we're praying today you'll give your life to Christ. So let's note some principles about reconciliation, about being reconciled that we ought to know together. And I invite you to write these three principles down. Number one, would you know, the reconciled gain a new perspective. Verse uh, verse 16 rather says, uh, we don't know anyone from a worldly perspective. We used to know Christ from a worldly perspective. Now we no longer know him in this way. It's saying that some have seen Christ in the wrong way. He's just a good teacher or just a moral example or just a good man or just a prophet. But the Bible says so much more about Jesus, that he is God who became a man, that he is the only means by which you can be saved. Jesus said he is the only way that you can reach the Father. So if he's just a good man, then he's saying crazy things. But the Bible is teaching that we don't know Christ from a worldly perspective, but a spiritual one. We know that he is indeed the Son of God, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the only means by which we can be forgiven of sins. And God wants to move us from a worldly perspective to a spiritual perspective. Now, the worldly perspective is to see things as the world sees it. And can I just tell you, the world is broken. Did you know this is a broken world? I mean, you watch the news a little bit. You go on the internet for just a little while, and you're going to see the world is broken. I mean, it is broken at every level, in every way. Our politics are broken. Our morality is broken our families are broken our relationships are broken i mean sin affects everything and this is a broken world and so when we see the world just through the lens of our culture we just see it in a broken way we see other people in a broken way we see ourselves in a broken way you know you may be surprised you may think i'm going to meet someone and that someone i mean they're just everything's going to fall into place and they're going to be exactly what i need and they're going to you know they're going to complete me and i'm and let me just tell you what, you're going to discover that not only are you broken, they're broken. And they're not, going to be, they're not going to complete you because they're broken and you're not going to be able to complete them because you're broken. And you're going to find that you have some perspectives that are just wrong and messed up and, and you're going to struggle in some ways because this is a broken, broken world. I mean, everything in it is broken. And we see still the image of God in it. We see the hand of the creator still there, but there's a brokenness here. And so if we see the world through our culture, listen, we ought not be surprised that our culture is viewing the world wrongly because it's a culture that is affected by our world that is affected by sin. Instead, God says we need a spiritual perspective. And we have a word for a spiritual perspective that we could use as the word wisdom. Wisdom is seeing God or seeing the world as God sees it. I'm preaching through... um, proverbs on wednesday nights and we're reminded that god wants us to see the world as he sees it not just as we see it in the moment we can only see a limited perspective but to see the world as god sees it to see a bigger perspective to see it from his viewpoint and the bible says you can have wisdom if any man lacks wisdom let him him ask of god who gives generously and god wants to give wisdom to you he wants you to see his perspective But the danger is we have a tendency to see the world through the lens of our culture so much so that all we see is the brokenness of this world. And so let's let's know how how we could apply this in some ways. This this affects, this new perspective affects how we view, I'll mention five things. Time. I remember when I was young how the year 2000 was so far away 
I mean, some of you who are older may remember. I mean, some of you were born later than that, but you seem so far away. I would be so old when the year 2000 came, I said. And now I look back, and it's so long ago. And God wants us to have an eternal perspective and to see there's something more than just this brief moment of time or how we view suffering. Some of you may remember back when I was in 2 Corinthians 4. Man, I've been gone so long and preaching through this book so slowly that it was a long time ago. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, I referred to a, a verse in the Bible where Paul talked about what he called momentary light affliction. Do you remember that? Momentary light affliction. And then we noted that that was talking about things like Paul was saying, I got shipwrecked, I got beaten, I got put in prison, I got stoned. I always have to remind you that it's stoned in the you know, Old Testament sense, not the more modern sense of the word. But he said, all these things happen to me. And then he said, that is, a, that is a momentary light affliction. That's a different perspective. Because we think, man, this is my world. I mean, I'm facing some problem. And it's just everything is, there's no hope. And Paul is saying, good night. God can even use my suffering as a means of drawing me to himself. He can even work in and through me during times of difficulty and struggle. God even shapes me through these difficult moments. And I want you to note that the affliction you're facing, it doesn't seem very momentary or light to you, but if you get God's perspective, you'll see that God, even in these difficulties, God wants you to learn and grow, and God will use you through these difficulties, through suffering or our perspective on priorities, what really matters and what really counts. We get, when we begin to see God's perspective, when we see what really matters, so much of the world says, this is what counts. And we find many of those things won't last one moment past our own lifetime. But the things of God last for eternity or our possessions. If we're not careful, our possessions end up possessing us. But when we get God's perspective, we say, God, it's all God's. I'm the steward. God's the owner. It's all his. I'm the steward. I'm the caretaker, not just of what I give, but of everything he puts into my hands. And I begin to look at this world differently or truth it's not just relative it's not just my truth versus your truth but the bible says there is i know what the culture says man it's just your truth what you feel what you think what you like and the bible says there is the truth whether you feel like it or whether you like it or whether the culture says that's currently acceptable or not and god tells us the truth and we we need to be when we're reconciled we begin to gain this new perspective it's like sometimes I see these, um, I see people who have been colorblind who get glasses that can correct that. And so they've never seen red or blue or purple or pink, and then they get these glasses, and suddenly for the first time through that lens, they're able to see things they've only heard about. And they begin to understand in a different way. And the Bible's saying when you give your life to Christ, God puts a new lens on your life, a spiritual lens by which you can see the truth and you can see his perspective and you can begin to gain wisdom and see the world as God sees it and not just as the culture says it is. And I want you to gain that new perspective. I want you to begin to see the world as God sees it. There's a second principle I'd like you to note. The reconciled become a new creation. Would you note that? The reconciled become a new creation. Verse 17 is a great verse to memorize. It's a fairly short, simple verse. I'm going to encourage you to memorize that. Memorizing Scripture is a good way to get it deep in your heart. And it says, therefore, verse 17, talking about all that's gone before, this new perspective God gives us. If anyone is in Christ, 
It's talking about when we trust Christ as Savior, when we've given our life to Christ, we're in Christ. He is a new creation, the Bible says. Not just reformed a little bit, not just changed on the outside, but a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. The Bible is saying when we trust Christ as Savior, we become a new creation. That's why Jesus used the term like being born again. He didn't say, listen, what I want you to do is if you could just like, you know, act a little bit better, you know, on the outside, like smile the right times and do a little bit better, change your behavior some. He said, I want to change everything about you. I want you to be born again. It's not enough just to reform. You'll never reform your way to heaven because heaven's perfect and we're not. We can't like sort of self-improve to perfection. He's saying, you need to be born again. You need to become a new person. You're a new creation in Christ and salvation. And then the Bible says, the old has passed away and the new has come. I have a, there's a part of me that wants to hold on to the old because I can remember when the year 2000 was far away on the other side of it. I didn't grow up with computers. So a younger generation will grow up with computers in their hand, computers around them all their life. But I didn't grow up with that. And so technology sometimes can be frustrating to me. And um, I like sometimes to hold on to the oldest. I, I don't want to get a new TV because I have to, you know, change. I have to get a new, I have to learn how to do a new, um, you know, turn different buttons. I want to go back to the old days when I could just walk up to the machine and you know, turn a little switch and it pop on. And, and then, of course, I'd have to stand near it, maybe hold my hands in a certain way so it, so it could kind of get a little, the fuzzy picture could get better. Boy, the, the old days were spectacular, kids. You should have you should have been there in the old days. They were wonderful when you get that little fuzzy picture on the television. Said, oh my goodness, how much fun. But I find myself wanting to kind of hold on to the old and struggle sometimes with the new. I want to keep, I want to keep the old. And I want, listen, sometimes I find myself doing that when it comes to spiritual matters. I want to hold on to the old things, the old ways, the old perspectives. When God is saying, I want to stretch you out to these new things. I want you to think differently. I want you to act differently. I want you to become new. I don't want you to stay where you've been. I don't want you to be satisfied with the status quo of your life. I want to change you. Some of you know that my grandfather gave his life to Christ as a middle-aged man, late 40s actually. He was in his late 40s when he trusted Christ as Savior. And a lot of baggage had already gotten in his life by the time he trusted Christ as Savior. A lot of baggage. Broken relationships. Broken relationships with some of the older kids. And when he gave his life to Christ, I mean, there, was a couple of, there were a couple of areas that dramatically changed. He stopped drinking immediately, which was a great blessing to the family because, see, when he was drunk, he, had some, he did things that were just harmful, damaging, painful to the family. Ended up breaking some relationships short-term with his own children. And then uh, one of the other things my father would always note was how he changed his profanity, his cussing. So my grandpa just... I mean, cussing can become a habit. You just get used to it. It's so common now, you hardly notice it. It's like network television. I can't, you almost can't go anywhere without hearing people use profanity. It's just part of our culture in such a way. And my grandfather was, you know, he cussed all the time, and it was a habit, and that's what he did. And the next morning after he trusted Christ as Savior, my dad noticed he started to say a cuss word. My grandpa started to say a cuss word, and he caught himself, and he stopped. And he just stopped cussing, and it was such a dramatic influence. My dad's life was still a younger boy in the family, just such a dramatic thing. Now, listen, nobody had ever said to my grandfather, 
by the way, I'm not saying the goal of the Christian life is to stop cussing, right? Is that the goal of the, of the Christian life is not just, God doesn't want to just change you on the outside. He wants to make you a new creation. But when he makes you a new creation, it begins to change the outside. When the inside gets changed, it can't help but start changing the outside. Nobody had ever said to my grandfather, hey, now that you're a Christian, he got saved the night before. Nobody had ever said, hey, you ought to stop cussing. You know, now that you're a Christian, I mean, some of that language, you know, that you've been using, he didn't, nobody had said that. But there was something new on the inside, and somehow there was this conviction just from one night of having trusted Christ as Savior, he just began to change him. Now, there were things in his life that God was working on forever till the day he died. But I'm saying that reconciliation makes you a new person, and when you become a new person, it begins to change the outside. It begins to change how you treat people or how you think of others. God brings conviction when you're not doing it right. And some of you know that full well because God's still bringing conviction to you about some area of your life that you've sort of ignored. We sometimes use this verse 17 in baptisms when someone's baptized. We'll say, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and the new, is, and the new has come. And because it's a beautiful picture of what happens in baptism. And I don't ever get tired of baptism, church. I, just, I love seeing people come to know Christ as Savior. I love seeing people follow in believers' baptism. It's a beautiful picture. As Bryson uh, was saying when he baptized this hour, he said, uh, baptism isn't what saves you. Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the work of Jesus is what saves us. I mean, by that, Jesus died in our place. That's how we can be saved. But baptism pictures that. So when someone's baptized, they go under the water and back up, as you may have noticed. And they're saying, man, I've died to the old life. I'm buried to the old life. I'm a new person in Christ. I'm a new person in Christ. I'm a new creation. I love to see that. Some of you need to follow in believer's baptism as a testimony that God made you a new person. You're still far from perfect. God will still be working on you till the day you die. But God is doing the work in you. He's giving you a new perspective and he's making you a new creation. There's a third principle I want you to note. The reconciled get a new ministry. The reconciled get a new ministry. I love this. Every time I think about a new ministry, I think of Mrs. Turnipseed. Some of you didn't know Mrs. Turnipseed, but Mrs. Turnipseed, years ago, she was like 83 years old. Her, her name was Maxine Turnipseed, but she went by Mrs. Turnipseed. So she had to have loved that man. I mean, Mr. Turnipseed was already, uh, had already passed away long before I ever met her, but she was from the generation where she was going to get called, not like Maxine, she was going to get called Mrs. Turnipseed. You know, when you're a little, when you're like young, you might be thinking about, well, if you're a girl, I'm going to, what will my name sound like? I'm going to be, for the rest of my life, Mrs. Turnipseed. She loved that man. You know she loved that man. Mrs. Turnipseed. I'm going to be Mrs. Turnipseed for the rest of my life. She practiced saying it maybe. Hello, I'm Mrs. Turnipseed. How are you? Well, Mrs. Turnipseed came to me one day, 80, like 83 years old. Sweet lady, man. She came to me one day. She was all excited. Loved to see a senior adult excited. And she, was, she said, Pastor, I've got a new ministry. I'm going to just love when a senior adult has the word new, you know, connected to anything. But I, I have a new ministry, she said. And she, there's some ministry in our kids' life ministry that she was plugging into and she was going to help serve with and volunteer with and I thought man that's a great spirit like 83 years old and I'm going to get involved in a new ministry and I'm not going to just be satisfied with where I am well God gives every believer a new ministry and I want you to see what it is would you go with me back to the text verse 18 
everything's from God who has reconciled us to himself from, uh, through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That's for us. We'll talk about it in a moment. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. So let's note five things about this ministry. Number one, this ministry is assigned by God. Like this isn't a, it's not that Pastor Doug said, oh, hey, I got a new ministry for you. I didn't come to Mrs. Turnipseed and say, Mrs. Turnipseed, you're supposed to be involved in the ministry of reconciliation. That's your new ministry. It's God. It's God. God says to every believer, this is the job I have for you. This This is your task. You're in the ministry of reconciliation. Some of you are believers who didn't even know that this is your ministry. You thought it was for someone else. You, you thought like missionaries are supposed to do this. Maybe the, you know, the weird pastors there at church. I'm not saying I'm weird, but some of those pastors in, in our church are a little bit, just a little bit off. And that's their job, you know, that's their task. No, every believer has this ministry. It's from God. He's assigned it to you. Number two, the ministry is made possible by the work of Christ. God has reconciled us to himself through Christ, the Bible says. Through Christ. Christ is the one who gives us, therefore, the ministry of reconciliation. It's his work that makes it possible. We're not saying to people, listen, our church is, our church is going to save you. Our church is going to change you. Or you, you follow me and I'll... We're following Christ, man. We're, this, our, we want our church to be about Jesus. We want you to follow him. And as best we follow the Lord, you can follow us as we follow him. But we're about Christ because only Christ can set you free. And only Christ can forgive your sins. And only Christ can change your heart. And he did the work necessary to save you. Man, I don't understand why, but God loves you. And he demonstrated that by sending his son to die in your place on the cross. Even though you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. And he is the means by which we can have this ministry. It's possible by his work. That's why our church often talks about the blood of Jesus because he shed his blood for us. The cross, he died in our place. We don't cover that. We, don't, we're, we delight in reminding ourselves that God loves us that much, that he is the means by which we can be set free, that our sin results in judgment. In fact, the Bible says sin always leads to death, but that God loved us so much that Jesus took that judgment upon himself. He took the punishment in our place. And he gave his life for ours. Number three, the ministry is pointing to forgiveness. I love what verse 19 says. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Not counting their trespasses against them. The Bible says in the book of 1 Corinthians 13 that love keeps no record of wrongs. I'll just tell you, sometimes I keep a record of wrongs. I I hold on to them. I... When I was young, my, I would sometimes just remember all the infractions of my brothers just so I could remind my, my, my brothers were just wicked sinners. I'll just tell you that. They were just terrible sinners. It's a wonder any of them you know, survived to adulthood. And, and I, I just wanted to remind my parents of all their sins so that I would look better. You know, Boy, you're so fortunate to have the second son. Aren't you glad for the second son? Because look how well-behaved I am compared to these other brothers. One time... My younger brother, Don, uh, was at baseball practice, and he, and he chewed some tobacco. 
I was in the generation where that was fairly common in baseball. Our coach chewed, our, you know, a lot of the older kids chewed, and so Don, you know, one time chewed some, of the, some tobacco. My mom thought of sin like this, like there's the, all right, there's like genocide, murder, chewing tobacco, you know, the kind of that was the, the list of great sins. And so I didn't tell my parents that Don had chewed tobacco until one day I was getting in trouble for something out in the backyard. I was getting in trouble for something. And I said to my mom this, I said, Mom, at least I don't chew tobacco like Don. And all the attention turned from me and my infractions to his. And I thought, see, that's how it works. You, you count all your trespasses. You, you keep record of the trespasses of them. But when you love, love keeps no record of wrongs. Vicky and I will have been married in January for 40 years. It's easy for me. Clap for her. And sometimes when we fight, I'll bring up all the record of wrongs, all the past things she's done wrong. Do you do that? Any of you in relationships? All the things they've done wrong. I mean, it's 40, 40 years, you know. I mean, she's done four or five things by now, you know, that she's done wrong. But keep record of that. And the Bible says, man, the Lord, here's what the Lord is saying. In Christ, God forgives every single trespass. The ones everyone knows about, the ones that nobody knows about. He forgives sin. Don't take sin lightly. Don't like, it's no big deal. Man, what a terrible curse has happened in the spiritual world, in the Christian world for so many believers to act as though sin's no big deal. When it took Jesus to the cross, but he's able and willing to forgive every sin because his blood is sufficient. His perfect life, the perfect sacrifice. He's the lamb of God that was slain, the Bible says, in our place for our sins. And he's, this ministry is pointing to forgiveness. And we're saying to people in this new ministry that we have, you can be forgiven. You don't have to carry the burden of sin. We're not just saying, hey, you're look at you bad sinners. We're so much better than you. We're saying God can forgive you just like he forgave us. We're not any more worthy of it than you are. But God loved us despite our unworthiness. And he sent his son Jesus who went to the cross in our place and died in our stead. Number four, would you note the ministry, is, the ministry calls others to be reconciled. That's what we do. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19 says, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. We have, that's, our, that's our job, to call others to be reconciled. So we say to people, listen, you can be forgiven. You can be set free. We found the bread of life, and you can too. And a part of what our church wants to do is to say to people, we want you to be saved. We want you to be born again. We want you to find new life in Christ. God loves you. God cares about you. And we're calling others to be reconciled. And God gives that ministry to us. And then number five, the ministry is for us. These last two words of verse 19 kind of haunt me. He has committed the message of reconciliation to us. It doesn't say to the angels. It says to us. Doesn't it sound like a terrible strategy? What a terrible strategy. Here's my strategy, God is saying. I'm going to have these fallen, broken people who have discovered my love. I'm going to have them as the vehicle by which other people hear the message of the gospel. Shouldn't God pick some other method? I mean, shouldn't he like write it in the sky? Shouldn't he have the angels saying this or something? 
But can I tell you something? The angels in heaven cannot understand what those of us who have been forgiven can understand. It's not a theory to us about God's forgiveness is not a theory to us. It's a reality. We were beggars who found the bread of life and we tell other beggars about that bread. We are broken sinners who have found the healing, reconciling God. And we tell others they can find that too. And he gave that to us. Could I personalize it? He gave that believer. He gave that to you. If you know him as Savior, this is not for some missionary, some weird staff member. This is for every person who names the name of Christ. We'll look at more, more of that next week, this great truth that God wants to use us in his work. I don't, man, I don't get it. I don't know why God wants to use us in his work, but I know that he wants to use us. And you're in that job, and you're in that school, and you're in that family for a reason. God has placed you with the influences you have for a reason. And God wants to use you to help other people to discover this great reconciliation that can happen through Christ. I'm going to ask you to be used by God. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? And I want, to, I want us to pray in two specific areas. Some of you are here who need to be reconciled. You, as you hear this message, you know that you are a sinner who needs to be saved. And I want to ask you to give your life to Christ today, right where you are today to give your life to Christ. To pray a prayer like this, God, I know I've sinned against you. Just tell God that. God, I know I've sinned against you. He knows it already, and you know it. Just acknowledge it to God. God, I've sinned against you. But I believe you died for me. Christ died on that cross for my sins. You took my place. And I believe you rose from the grave. You're powerful enough to forgive me. And so right here and now, I ask you to forgive me. And I give my life to you. And I trust you as my Savior and my Lord. And if you mean that, Christ will save you. I trust you as my Savior and my Lord. If you mean that, Christ will save you. And you'll be reconciled to the Lord. I want you to grow in faith and follow in baptism and put down some deeper roots and learn all God has for you. But man, God wants to do that new work in you. And today can become a new day for you. Christian, I want to say to you, God has given you this new perspective would you ask him for that deeper wisdom? He's made you a new creation. Would you ask him to continue the work of making you, conforming you into his image? But would you say, God, help me to take on this new ministry? Maybe you're a little intimidated at the thought that you are joining God in his work or that God wants to use you as a means by which other people hear the message of the gospel. But would you say, God, you reconciled me. I want to be used by you to help other people hear that same message. So God, as best I can, I want to surrender myself to you and I want to say yes to your purpose to have other people hear the message of the gospel through me, through my lips, for your glory. And Father, I want to thank you for the power of your word. I want to thank you. You can reconcile us, that we are, though we are broken by our sin, you can bring us back into right fellowship. I thank you for that, that we can be reconciled to you. And through that, reconciled to others. And through that, become the kind of people you want us to become. And so do a work in us. And I pray for those who have just this day pray to receive you as Savior, that you'll help them to understand more of what that means and what you want to do in their life, that they'll grow and that they'll tell others about that decision to give their life to you and that they'll follow you in, in uh, spiritual growth and baptism and deepening discipleship and 
become everything you want them to become. And Lord, I'm praying for Christians. I'm praying for us to have lips who will want to share the message of the gospel with others because of what you've done for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.